Welcome to the home for Bible geeks everywhere. This This is the Edge Podcast with Scott Logan. What's up, Bible geeks, and welcome to the Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Logan, and I hope that so far, wherever in the world you are, while listening to this show, that you are having a great Christmas season. You know, as long as it's still Christmas season when you're listening to this particular episode. Now, guys, the nerd in me is super excited. As of the release of this episode, next week is the release of Star Wars The Last Jedi. Now, we all might be listening to this episode months or years from now, laughing at that, saying that we hated the movie. I really hope that that's not the case. I have a really good feeling about this. I had a really good feeling about Rogue One last year, and it didn't disappoint me at all. And I have a really good feeling about this movie as well. So many questions for Star Wars fans going into this, and I'm really hoping that we don't have to wait another two years to get a big chunk of them answered. Make new questions. That's fine. Just answer my old ones like, who's Rey's parents? Why is Luke living on an island? Why does he want the Jedi to end? Who is Snoke? When will Kylo Ren give me a reason to think he's a cool bad guy? I've already got my ticket to go. Unfortunately, it's not on release day. I'm actually going on Saturday with some friends, which I'm kind of bummed about. Not that I'm bummed about hanging with them. I love them, they're my dear friends. But because there's nothing like seeing a Star Wars movie on opening night with the real fans who cheer during the movie, I love that atmosphere. It just turns out that one of the friends I'm going with can't make it on opening day, but question would it be wrong to go to the opening night anyway and then just act surprised on saturday i mean if they were to ask i wouldn't lie to them but maybe they won't ask hmm once you start down the dark path forever will it dominate your destiny consume you it will as it did obi-wan's apprentice On today's show, we're looking at James 5 still and continuing the conversation that we had last week about the oppression of the poor to whom James was addressing, but also taking some practical application for ourselves in this about having patience through the persecution that we experience as Christians. So we're in James 5, 7 to 11, where James is continuing on from what he was saying about the rich and poor in verses 1 through 6, which by the way, if you haven't heard last week's show, then I recommend pausing this and going back to hear last week's show to gain some context going into this week's study. So let's read this together. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11 say, Therefore, brothers, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome from the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Okay, 
In a nutshell, James has gone from addressing the wealthy wicked to now addressing the oppressed poor. Even as a kid, growing up, we were poor. We weren't even poor, we were poor. We couldn't afford the other letters, man. The basic gist of this is about having patience in the trials and persecution brought on by other people. When we first started our study in James back in July, we kicked off the book talking about trials. But that was about circumstantial trials, where in this case, James is talking about persecution from others. Now, in this passage, the word for patient has the idea of being long-suffering with people. Back in chapter 1, that Greek word was talking about being able to endure adverse circumstances, where in this passage, it has to do with adverse people. So chapter 1 was about being patient in circumstances, and here in chapter 5, we're talking about being patient with people, and it's linked to the impression from the wealthy wicked uh, that we read about last week. And the idea is that it's just as important to be patient with people as it is being patient with circumstances. Now, uh, as it said in verse 6 last week, righteous people don't fight back. As followers of Christ, we don't resist and retaliate and seek vengeance on those who would persecute us. Whatever the trial may be, whatever the persecution may be, we must be patient. That's the righteous standard. That's the righteous expectation of the child of God. Now, I don't necessarily, based on what I've read and studied, uh, believe that this is another one of James's tests in his series of tests given to evaluate the authenticity of one's faith, because in those tests, he's writing to non-Christian Jews who are calling themselves Christians but are not. In this passage, James is directing his words to true believers who do have the capacity to be patient. I don't think the point here is if you struggle with patience while being persecuted, that you're not a Christian. I mean, it's entirely possible that one could claim to be a Christian, but given enough difficulty and heat in the kitchen, uh, would show that they're not a Christian at all because they were filled with unending vengeance. But I think the targeted demographic here is believers who have the capacity to be patient. And in this case, the brothers uh, that James is speaking to are true brothers, uh, Christians who need to stay righteous and stay just in the midst of their persecution and suffering. And that's not an easy thing to do. If you are in the majority of people who have to exist in the real world where carnality abounds, then you know what it's like to be surrounded by people on the job every day who don't understand the morality that you submit to. Now, you might work in a very PC-safe corporate environment where it's taboo to bring up anything offensive to anyone and soapboxes of any persuasion have to be left at the door. So you can just be a professional at what you do in a professional environment and just you happen to know that you are trying to do things well to the glory of God. But you also might work in a very different environment where there is more freedom to communicate and circumstantially the door is open for those who don't see eye to eye with your spirituality to share with you their differences with you and quite possibly in a very offensive or irreverent manner. 
Though now as a Christian recording artist, podcaster, and stay-at-home parent, I don't deal much with this anymore. At different times in the past, I've found myself on both ends of this spectrum. I've worked in a larger corporate environment where I could just do my job with everyone else, be left alone to do my job to the best of my ability, and we all got along just fine. And I've also worked in those small businesses with a small crew where you get to know each other pretty well. And man, when people saw that I lived my life differently than them, they couldn't just leave well enough alone. So often I was on the receiving end of these little verbal jabs about my faith. And it's funny because it wasn't like I arrived at work ringing a bell going, Christian in the house. I was social and friendly, honest, and I worked hard. But when the word got out that I was a Christian, people still felt the need to insult me about it and poke fun at what I stood for, even though I wasn't even the one bringing it up. Christian students have to deal with this in their education. I mean, even carnal, worldly people often look back at their youth and say, I can't believe I said or did that. So it can be really difficult for a Christian kid to try to stand with God-driven morality in that world. And that's just with the other students and peers, let alone the lack of support from the adults in their life there. When you have some teachers who preach tolerance towards everything else except for you and what you believe, and based on how your faith influences your answers in certain classes, it could also take a toll on how that teacher grades you. That's why, according to a study done by the National Center for Education Statistics, found that 91% of homeschooling parents do it for the purpose of offering religious or moral alternatives. So the point that James is making in this passage is that in the face of your oppressor, be patient. That Greek word is macrothumio. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? The word macro means large and thumos meant anger. So uh, what this word means is long-tempered. Be long-tempered and have a long fuse, not a short one. Unlike the word in chapter one that had to do with patience for circumstances, this word has to do with being long-tempered or long-suffering or very patient with people. Patience is enduring someone who is mistreating you and not being angry and not being full of vengeance. It's being slow to anger. And for us to be that way only mimics God's characteristic because the Bible tells us many times over that God is slow to anger. And we're to have the character of God, the character of Christ, who in meekness and gentleness didn't retaliate against those who falsely accused and persecuted him. And guys, isn't it something to be grateful for that God is slow to anger? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, Regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation. That's that same word, macrothumio. Because God is long-tempered and patient with us, there is an opportunity for salvation. If God had a short fuse, we'd all be in hell. And if a holy God can be patient with unholy sinners then unholy sinners can certainly be patient until a holy God, or as we read last week, the Lord of hosts, acts on our behalf. James being so cool doesn't just leave it there. Knowing it's not easy, he gives us some important ways to do that. The first one being to look forward to the second coming of Christ, realizing it won't always be like this. 
Often you might hear a believer say something along the lines of, get me out of here, take me home, Jesus. For many of us, it's pain on earth that just builds this anticipation for heaven. So James says, be patient, it's coming. He mentions the coming of the Lord in verse 8 as well, and also mentions it again in verse 9 when he says the judge is standing at the door. So he makes three references to the second coming of Christ here. And while the church has always lived in the hope of the second coming, I would even say that a persecuted church lives even more in the light of the second coming. In fact, the more persecuted a church is, the more it anticipates the second coming. And then on the other side of that, you have this affluent, self-serving, worldly, indulging church of today, which is really a little concerned about the second coming. They're more concerned about the postponing of the second coming because through wealth, they've created their own little heaven here. Why would they want to leave? For them, their best life is now. But a church under persecution inevitably longs for the coming of Christ. I also want to look at this word for coming because this is kind of important. And please know that this particular uh, part of the episode is not focused on eschatology. I'm not trying to make a point. I'm not getting into the hot topic discussion of pre-tribulation rapture versus post-tribulation. But I will say this. The Greek word for coming is parousia. And this word is used repeatedly in the New Testament. Here's a fun fact. Another fun fact. Did you know one out of every 13 verses in the New Testament makes a reference to the second coming of Jesus? So parousia is the most common term in the New Testament epistles for the second coming. You'll hear theologians use that word. You'll even read it sometimes. And in the Greek, it means more than just the coming. The best way to describe it is that it is the arrival because it's not just the coming or the coming and leaving. It is the coming and the presence of Jesus. So it is that Jesus comes and he is present. He has arrived. We as believers are looking for the arrival of Jesus. His arrival is happening in order to bless his people with his presence. That's the idea of the word. It's his arrival we're looking for. It's not enough to live in this world. It's not enough to have the best that this world has to offer. But our hope is in the arrival of Jesus and the world for us that is yet to come. Of course, James doesn't have a time frame for that event. He says just to be patient because it will come. He's basically saying if you're going to endure the persecution of the wealthy wicked, which is still the situation he's addressing here, if you're going to endure whatever suffering comes, you've got to have your eyes on the return and the arrival of Jesus. Then James goes on to give an analogy for his readers. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. Now that's just an analogy, just a simple illustration. It's not allegory. It's not intended to be spiritualized. It's, it's very simple. The farmer waits. That's how it is when you're a farmer. You plant and then you wait. And that conveys the idea of looking expectantly for something outside oneself. That's the Greek term here. He looks for that crop to come in and the harvest depends on the providence of God. It depends on God bringing together all of the right components to make the crop good and to raise up that precious fruit. So then he says in verse 8, you also must be patient. 
strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. That's just a simple statement and encouragement. That word for strengthen means to be resolute. It's an attitude of firm courage. It's an attitude of commitment that no matter what the trial is or how hard the trial is, you confidently move ahead. The root of the word means to prop up. It means to prop yourself up. He says, when you are about to collapse under persecution, prop yourself up with the hope of the second coming and be patient. So stay firm and prop yourself up under the hope of the second coming. Then he says, verse 9, Brothers, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. In those days, there was a judgment hall that had big double doors, and the judge would come through those doors, and then court was in session. This is Judge Judy. And using this concept that they would understand, James pictures Christ as about to push the doors open to walk into the judgment hall to begin the judgment. And so he's saying not only are we looking for the coming of Christ, but we're recognizing the Lord's judgment. He's saying not only do you hopefully anticipate the coming of the Lord, but you recognize that when he comes, it's judgment time. And he tells them to stop the murmuring. Now, we already know of the dissension happening in this community. We've been reading about it for the entirety of season two of the Edge podcast in James. Uh, There were Jewish Christians who were divided into different warring factions. And James is basically just saying, is this really what you want to be doing when Jesus comes back? Is this the state that you want to be in when Jesus finds you? He says in verse 10, Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. In 11, he says, See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome from the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. He says not only anticipate the Lord's coming and recognize the Lord's judgment, but thirdly, follow the Lord's servants. Use them as examples. And the ones that James was referring to were the Old Testament prophets. The point here was to use the patience of the old prophets as an example. Hardly any of those guys were welcomed by their contemporaries. For the most part, the prophets were highly unpopular preachers. Hosea was a man of sorrows and was acquainted with grief. Micah was the first prophet to threaten Jerusalem with destruction, so I'm sure he was invited to a lot of parties. Habakkuk was called upon to utter woe after woe to his countrymen. Haggai saw success, but his colleague Zechariah was murdered. Isaiah was sawed in half in a hollow tree by Manasseh. Jeremiah wept his way through life. John the Baptist was murdered and Jesus was crucified. A prophet arose in Israel only in a time of crisis or apostasy. Prophets were not commissioned to make friends and influence people. They weren't really promised success either. They weren't drawn into ministry with fancy brochures or climbing the ladder of their denomination. They weren't called to build million-dollar church buildings. The basic requirements of a prophet were conviction and courage, along with patience. So often the things that the prophets revealed were from the future as events far removed from their own time. And they learned that God's calendar was much bigger than their own. 
So patience was the essence of their call. James says in verse 11, See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome from the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. That's another mindset that we should try to have when we're being patient in the midst of persecution. And that is understanding the Lord's blessing. He says, we count as. That means it was widely received common opinion. We in general call people who endure through trials blessed. Uh, They are acknowledged to be blessed, happy, admirable people who endured. That word for endure is the Greek word from chapter one, speaking of enduring through the trials and trying circumstances. Here's an important point too. The blessings come not to the people who do big things, but the blessings come to people who endure big things. James also brings up the story of Job. I'm pretty sure most people who have been a Christian for a while now know that story. Uh, But Job was a godly man. Uh, Satan came to God and said, I don't think you have one man on the earth that will be true to you. And God said, yes, I do, Job. And he said, Satan, you can't kill him, but you can do just about everything else to him. Um, And I'll prove that he's a faithful man. I'll show you that I can have a man who is totally committed to me. So then, you know, Satan went after Job. He destroyed him in every way possible, took away his family, killed his children, took away all his crops, his land, his possessions, everything he owned, gave him serious and severe disease. Uh, And in it all, Job never wavered. He endured. He complained now and then, but mostly about his dumb friends who were giving him stupid answers as to what was going on. His wife tried to get him to curse God and die, and he refused to do it. He endured. He cried out to God in confusion. He listened to his friends give him all the wrong ideas as to why it was happening, but he endured, and he did no sin with his mouth, the Bible says. James says, you have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome from the Lord. God had a plan and a purpose for Job's suffering. One, to test his faith and prove it real. Two, to strengthen his faith so that he would see God more clearly. Three, to prove to Satan that there was a man who was totally a lover of God, no matter what it cost. And four, to increase Job's blessedness, because the book ends with Job being blessed, uh, being given twice the amount of what he had. And that's another motivation in our patience through suffering. God has purpose for it. So patience in any trial comes when we anticipate the Lord's coming and live in the light of it. Uh, It comes when we recognize the Lord's judgment and live in the fear of it. It comes when we follow the Lord's servants and live in the pattern of that. It comes when we understand the Lord's blessing that he wants to bless us and we can be counted happy if we endure. And it comes when we realize the Lord's purpose. He's doing something to us. He's perfecting us. He's getting ready to do greater things for us. And lastly, it comes when we realize his character. James says, the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. God's character is made up of compassion and mercy. He carries your cares. He has your best interest in mind. He's tenderhearted and he never takes a break in the middle of your situation to go do something else. Guys, what are you going through right now? 
Are you going through the darkness of some trial, maybe in your family or maybe in your marriage? Maybe it's a struggle financially. Maybe you have a disease. Maybe you've struggled with work. There are so many different kinds of trials, and whatever they are, know this. Suffering, trial, trouble, and affliction, whether it would be physical, emotional, economic, or whatever it may be, it just comes with the territory. James tells us the best way to deal with it is to start living anticipating the Lord's coming, and then follow the Lord's examples. And then consider the Lord's blessing. And then consider the Lord's purpose, that he has something in mind to perfect in you and something for his own glory by your trial. And remember his character. He is compassionate. He understands what you are going through and how it makes you feel. And he will get you through it. And you will be far better off at the end. We'll be right back after this. Where truth and entertainment are BFFs. The Edge Podcast with Scott Logan. Hi, I'm Todd Nettleton, and this is the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. The Buddhist nation of Bhutan is a dangerous place to preach the gospel, even in the most remote mountain villages. After one beloved pastor was murdered, villagers believed his ministry would cease. But that wasn't the case. When asked for volunteers to step into their pastor's pulpit, five hands shot up without hesitation. Though the congregation grieved the loss of their pastor, they rejoiced in the ongoing work of the gospel. Where one preacher fell, five were raised up in his place. Join me in praying for Christian survivors around the world who faithfully take up the banner of the gospel just like these Bhutanese believers. I will not let my brothers and sisters suffer in silence, nor will I let them serve alone. To join me in prayer for persecuted Christians, go to vomradio.net. Like the show? Buy a shirt. Visit the Edge Podcast store at www.theedgepodcast.com. This is the Edge Podcast with Scott Logan. Well, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show this week. Next week is going to be a little interesting because we're only going to be studying one verse, and that's verse 12, which kind of has its own self-contained thought. And I was thinking about tacking it on to this study uh, or maybe you know, putting all, everything, the rest of James chapter 5, into one more episode. I've decided to go ahead and break it up into two more episodes. So we're going to do verse 12 next week, and then after that... In two weeks, it's the final episode of the Edge Podcast Season 2. We're going to be all done with the book of James, and it's going to be break time. Uh, but in the meantime, guys, we still have a little bit of James to go, so make sure to tune in for those next two episodes. If you want some more information about the Edge Podcast, please go to the website, theedgepodcast.com. Up at the top right corner of the homepage, you're going to find some social links. So go ahead and click on those. Check out our Facebook page and give it a like. I'm on Twitter, and please follow me on Twitter at edgepodcast one I'd love to get to know you on there as well. But in the meantime, guys, I'm Scott Logan. You've been listening to the Edge Podcast, and I will talk to you next week on the same day that Star Wars comes out. But until then, make sure to live on the edge. You've been listening to the Edge Podcast with Scott Logan. Visit the website www.theedgepodcast.com for a complete list of episodes, blogs, merchandise, and more. And above all else, live on the edge.